Welcome to the Freedom Flower Podcast. My name is LMC. This is episode number 17. I am joined by a very special guest. Uh, his name is Craig Levin or Levin or any of the other uh, iterations that we talked about. Um, but he was the former C- COO of Avitas um, and now he runs his consulting company, uh, which is 3, 3D Consulting. Um, thanks so much for joining us, uh, Craig. Really sure. appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So let's just jump into like your, your background with cannabis and just how you kind of got into the industry initially and started with the Vitas or, you know, what, what was that whole uh, process? That Sure. Yeah. No, that's it. It's kind of an interesting story. Um, my relationship with cannabis started in college in the 1990s at the University of Washington. And it just so happens that one of my old buddies from, uh, from my fraternity was the guy who hooked me up with my first job in the legal cannabis industry just recently, about five years ago. That's awesome. I love that. What, what yeah. fraternity, by the way, if you don't remember me asking? It was, uh, it was Zeta Beta Ta, ZBT, Zeta Beta. Okay. At, the, at the University of Washington. We had about 70 members at the time. Yeah. And um, I just, uh, you know, it's funny because I, I remember a lot of, I remember, you know, sure, a lot of studying, but a lot of partying. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I've got a kid in college right now in her second year at, at Wisconsin. And when she complains to me about how much work, how much schoolwork she has, I tell her, hey, man, your dad, you know, worked through college, studied, and partied a lot. And so if you can't <laughs> you handle can do it, it you've got a problem. Yeah, you can do it too. You can do it too. And I encourage you, I encourage you to party and have a good time. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I think, you know, just with that, I think there, I think there are some differences, but you know, you're right though. I think somebody like, it's funny because people like some generate, you know, the older generation say, oh, the newer generation has it so easy. And then the newer generation says about the older generation, you guys aren't in our shoes. You don't know, but you're definitely right. So yeah, absolutely. So, so I have a buddy from that, that, that introduced you to the cannabis right. industry, right? Um, so I kind of got through a friend of a friend of a friend and I met the founder and we're looking for somebody to turn the company from a, transform it from a hobby, you know, and an attempt at, Hey, this this might be fun to, um, to a, you know, a multi-state corporation. Yeah. And that's, so, a, that's a really good point, though, you say about like a hobby, because I think there's a lot of companies out there that are started by, you know, maybe somebody that's retired, has some money to play with or, or whatever it is, and they kind of go into it as a hobby and don't realize that there's a lot more than just <laughs> a hobby. Yeah. But, I, but I, I appreciate you saying that. And so, so yeah, like, like, just like walk us through that transition of taking that from that hobby to a multi, like you guys are in where Avitas is in California, Oregon, Colorado, Washington, right? And moving, right. And moving into, uh, moving into, um, well, into future States, yeah. additional States, wow. mostly cool. in the West coast. Um, not a big presence in California yeah. now, but it's, you know, there's a lot of craziness going down in California yeah. in general. In the it seems a little bit of a headache down there, to be honest. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Well, it was, it was a little, there were some funny stories kind of, you know, how I got into the business and how I, uh, you know, told my family 
about it because, um, you know, real conservative family. Um, I'm not talking politically conservative, just yeah, conservative old fashioned. values. Yeah. yeah, just old fashioned. Yeah. And um, it's kind of, there's kind of a funny story about how my daughter, how my oldest daughter, who at the time was uh, 17, um, how I told her I was in the business. It was really, um, you know, about six to nine months into my career in cannabis that I told her. And she and I were, uh, we were driving in the car and listening to a song by the chain smokers that talk, you know, one of the lines is, um, you know, sitting on the couch, smoking, you know, I can't, I can't yeah. remember the exact line. No, I, don't, I know the exact line you're talking about though too. I, I know you're yeah. So I'm listening to that and I, I joke with her a lot and I turn to her and I, as I'm driving and I say, you guys listen, your, your friends listen to this stuff. Oh my God. And she said, dad, you're so straight. And I, and that was the, that was the moment that I decided to tell her what I was doing. <laughs> she knew that I had left my previous job, but she didn't, uh, you know, she didn't know what I was doing and she had her own life and wasn't that interested. But I said to her, you know, honey, your dad is one of the biggest legal cannabis dealers on the West coast. <laughs> yeah. You heard, you heard like, you're so straight dad. I go, Oh really? Like, yeah. exactly. <laughs> that was and I, you know, I just, she looked at me, you know, kind of jaw, you know, down for a minute, but then it was like, nah, yeah. you know, it's, it's like, uh, oh, is he the cool dad? Nah, no, nah, he's, he's still <laughs> a finance. He's still a finance guy. Yeah, no, yeah. that's, I mean, that's super interesting. I mean, you know, I, I think it's, uh, you know, that conversation of like, you know, getting, getting the cannabis industry, like, what are you going to tell your kids? I mean, eventually you're going to have to tell them, like, is it just, you know, I, I think it's an interesting question for people to ask themselves, like, you know, they're not trying to, I mean, at the same time, I, you know, to normalize it, you kind of, you know, would somebody working at, yeah, you know, uh, uh, an alcohol company right like they're working yeah. at a lesion brewing or something would yeah. they or like you know would they tell would they be as hesitant to tell their kids than that you yeah. know i'm interested in that so yeah absolutely yeah. no yeah that's, that's uh, think about that too yeah that's no i think as time goes on it will be it'll be less and less more it'll be more and more like you know regular you know stream yeah 100 percent. yeah absolutely so Let's get back on to the Avitas, you know, kind of going through that um, timeline. So you come on about five years ago. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's just in Washington state or. Right. Okay. So it's a single, so it's not an MSO yet. Um, right. And what are the changes that, or what are the things that you guys as a team did to transition that hobby into a, a legit, you know, functioning corporation? Sure, sure. So um, it was originally the goal to build into a multi-state brand and be purchased by a larger multi-brand company, mm -hmm. right? And um, <clears throat> when I, you know, when I joined the team my, on my first day, I think people kind of looked at me like, oh, here comes the suit. You know, I was the, I was the guy who, had the finance background. I mean, I was at uh, 
Verizon Wireless for 20 years in finance prior to this. And, you know, folks, folks didn't know that. There was a team of about 15 people um, at the company. And when they met me, I think they were a little, they were a little concerned, you know, that uh, here comes a guy that's going to make us, you know, start worrying about the bottom line. And I mean, that was the point. This is so important. (laughs) I think it's so funny you said that. (laughs) Yeah. We need people like you, trust me. We did, because every, like, like, trust me, everything will stay in chaos until someone like that comes into the fray. Yeah, is like, totally. Come on, guys. We got we to gotta actually do business here. This is not just a for fun thing, right? Totally. So I, I came into the company. My first day um, was <clears throat> in the beginning of 2016. And um, I walked in and I, I asked folks, uh, so how many of these vape cartridges do we make in a day? And I just got a lot of blank stares like, uh, you know, a few hundred, you know, <laughs> 600. I said, well, today we're going to start counting. Yeah. And there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of whispering and stuff, but we started counting that day. And then, um, you know, and soon enough, it was, okay, so we do 600. How can we get to 1,000? And how can we get to 1,400? And so that's, you know, that's kind of how a lot of companies start to build momentum. You know, it's a momentum business, and you got to start somewhere. Um, but, you know, we we paid attention to kind of how we were using our machinery and our people and balance that with the number of sales and, and the amount of demand that was out there. And we, we, we made it work. We, got, we found a good balance and got into a groove. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right too. Though. It seemed, it seems like, you know, a lot of, I mean, you know, a lot of companies without, you know, financial experts like yourself, uh, you know, they, they, they don't necessarily put a measurement. They don't have efficiency metrics on the day-to-day operations. Right. They're not, and they're not organizing that and letting that data build up so that you guys can analyze it and then, you know, continue to make changes. But I mean, that's, that's where it all starts though, is organizing the, uh, the numbers, right. Organizing and, you know, and that's so funny you say like, how many do you, how many, how many do you make in a day? We don't know. Right. And it's like, it's things that are pretty like, logical when you talk about it but in the moment you know some companies can just be tunnel vision and you know they need someone like you to come in and yeah you know yeah shine the light on that yeah absolutely so where so in terms of um when did you guys start to pick up pace in Washington? When did you guys decide and then when did you guys decide to move into other states and then and we can get and then we'll get to this a little later too, but like in terms of your guys's uh, entry into other states, was it licensing, buying, buying licenses? Like were you licensing the brand or were you licensing, um, or are you buying your own licenses and operating them there in the state yeah. by yourself? Um, yeah, we can get to that though. Yeah. Um, so so um, we, so we did it two different ways. We did that expansion two different ways through owning and operating license in Oregon and through licensing the 
operating procedures, you know, the recipe for the oil mix. Recipes, yep. Um, yep, and the, uh, and the brand to a company in Colorado. Awesome. Okay, so, and we called that a capital light, and that's, that's generally a word that's, that's used uh, in the industry as a, a capital light approach to a state is light on expenditure um, from, the, from the MSO. Lean, right? right? Which I think yeah. is super smart of you guys, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Too many folks have stumbled in the industry, um, in the global industry, just overbuilding at the beginning and being you know, caught under this huge, you know, massive nut that you've got to pay every month. Yeah, the overhead, and, the overhead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and the, the lean licensing models, I think are low risk, potentially high reward. Right. Um, yeah, that's super smart. But that's awesome though that you guys got kind of a taste of both though, right? Because you Colorado was a light, light, you know, like you're saying, mm -hmm. light capital. And then in, in Oregon where, the regulations are obviously very different from all three of those states, if you compare them, yep. uh, Washington. Yep. But mm -hmm. I mean, Oregon seems like a pretty good place to actually operate. And maybe not if you're a retailer, but, um, you know, yeah. True. Or some of the things that I found really interesting about Oregon was that a lot of the stores were like, you know, maybe at the end of a residential block. And, and they're really they're customer, yeah their customer base not in a residential area but oh, okay on an arterial that had you know and if you can imagine your customer base is like the the five block you know square area behind behind the store yeah you know that that was a lot of you know there were a lot of little neighborhood stores and a lot of them a lot of the storefronts tended to be like um, old residential homes. Mm, yes, we have some and of those. Too, a little couple of those in Seattle, but sure. uh, not yeah. not like Oregon, though. I think right, yeah. right, exactly. And I, you know, um, I found that really interesting. And and there's there's also in the Portland area, just in the Portland uh, city limits, there's something like you know 400 stores, yeah. whereas in the whole state of Washington, there's 400 and 50 stores or so. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, there's a big, big difference between the two states. Yeah, definitely. There's that famous street right on Portland that has like 10 dispensaries on like a, or it's like four to six dispensaries on a two yeah. block. Like, it's, yeah. it's, isn't that, there's a whole street like in Portland, right? Yeah. It, it's insane. And it is tough for retailers, uh, you know, to make it there. And they, in Washington, you know the the money the money piece of of selling to retail is uh, it's easier in Washington because there's no allowance for uh, you know credit terms. Mm. You can't you know you you can't you have to collect cash on delivery in Washington. Whereas in Oregon, um, we extended credit terms. I did not know that. That is super. So they do that in California too, right? And that's been mm -hmm. a problem where some of these people are getting paid, right? That's like, right. That yeah. that's right. Does that ever so happen we, to you guys at all, or you guys kept it pretty? Well, good? you know, <laughs> we had a few. We had a few. I can remember one in particular that um, that I I lost my voice yelling over the phone, which I'm I'm a pretty chill, yeah, you know, even keel guy, and for me to lose it. 
is, you know, pretty spectacular. Yeah. And it turned out in that particular instance, when I was collecting on a customer, it turned out that um, I was barking up the wrong tree and they had paid and I was yelling at them. So, oh. it, it, you know, you can, they had a real big laugh in the company about, you know, Greg <laughs> fucked up this collection. You know, it was, it was just a situation. Awkward, like, oh, my bad. No, but I, but at the same yeah. time though, I, I, I get where the air, I mean, it's like, come on, like you, we made an agreement. This is not some, this is not some street deal. This is a legit, you know, business deal. Like you can't, right. yeah, and right. I completely right. get that. I mean, they're making a whole credit, you know, they're making a whole credit system down in California because it got so bad. So they have a list, they've combined all of these, uh, all of these um, producer processors or brands, right? They put together a list and they, they have a list of like retailers or, or you know, yeah. distributors that just aren't, um, you know, that haven't paid, right? And, and right. now they have like a, a database and that's, exactly. And they're, they're, they're yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah. I like that. I, I've heard about that. It's like having an Equifax just exactly. for the, just for the business. And it, it, um, you know, puts a fire under, under bad actors in the, Definitely. in the system, you know, yeah. and not, not all of them are bad actors. Some of them just really, you know, they're, they're trying their best, but they're struggling. Yeah. And the only way to, the only way to get out of that, is to sell more and in order to do that you got to go into hawk more you know i mean you just at some point it spirals there's no way out but you know we ex we extended a, a good amount of credit to folks and you know um over time we just kind of tighten that up a little bit more a little bit more i would have loved to have that system like they do in california yeah yeah I, I think it was pretty rant like i don't know if it, it doesn't seem like it was as bad in Oregon, but um no but and that brings up a great point though so you know being able to leverage credit right i mean a lot of ways i mean it's good that you know there's pros and cons to not you know for washington you don't have to deal with that but also it potentially stunts growth right uh yeah Absolutely. So what do you, what would you prefer out of the two? Cause you, you've now operated, you've seen both. Uh, um, just considering all the dynamics of the industry, I would say that cash on delivery is from a finance guy's standpoint, it's cash on delivery. You know, everything else is bullshit cash. Yeah. You know, cash is king, right? Absolutely. So everything else is bullshit. So, um, I do kind of like it. It's, it's unusual, you know, it's unusual. And I, I heard stories early on of, um, you know, before I entered the company like back in 2015, uh, some of the first, uh, you know, weed deals that were done between Avidas and uncle Ike's were done with, you know, a, a milk crate full of cash. <laughs> you know, it's like, here's, Here's $70,000 in cash in this big box. Yeah, it's like, I need to go to the bank right now. <laughs> yeah, you, get out. you get very, yeah, you get very scared. Yeah, I would not ever, market. yeah, that would be, that would, and, yeah. And in the early days, in the early days, um, back in 2016, I, you know, uh, I did some deliveries for the company and, you know, I was carrying $20,000 in my pocket and I had, $30,000 in the glove compartment of my Honda. And as I was walking out of the store with empty bins, 
that I had just delivered. I had empty bins and I had $20,000 in my pocket and I was being followed by people that came out of the store with me and I got real, you know, freaked out. Yeah. I got freaked out. So, um, you know, hopefully that the changes will come there that make that much safer. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's absolutely super. I've, I've, I've had some similar circumstances. It's, it's, it's really weird too. You know, they, they count you out in the back, right? They make sure the product it's, you know, it's not the most, it's not what you, yeah, it's not what a typical business does. Uh, you know, and it also, you know, remind, I mean, you're right. The safety, whenever you bring cash in large amounts of cash, anything, it gets, you know, kind of dangerous. It reminds me a little bit, uh, you know, I had an old girl, old girlfriend of mine and their, her family, they, uh, they're big fishermen up in Alaska and her mom was telling me cause they used to have like cash buyers, um, you know, mm-hmm. so they would have people in the, in like an Alaska bar with like 300 K in cash. Oh and there was God. like robbery, like people, there's legit, like, pi- like pirates pretty much that would rob these. And it was all, cause it was all cash based business. Um, and you know, I mean, I've been, you know, I've, in terms of, you know, I've seen retailers or other producer processors. I mean, they've come to like facility, like to uh, different facilities have been at and they've been like, yeah, we have literally 300 K in cash in the trunk. Like where's, where's the product? And it's like, Oh yeah. my God, this is so like, this is not, this is not yeah. an fit. This is not an official. Yeah. And it's, it's, and this is like when they could like, this is a, this is like a processing company that, that was a really good one by the way, but they're, yeah, they're coming out to the east side of Washington. And so it's a kind of a long trip. So they, they wanted to make the most of it, but it was three people, bunch of cash. Yeah. And, you know, there's no one protecting you. You can't. It's target. It's, yeah. 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 They become a target. And yeah. we had uh, in Arlington at our processing plant. Um, Where in Arlington, had, by the way, if you don't mind me asking. Sure. It was uh, on Highway 9, a little bit north of. Right um, by the. Um, was it right by the smoky point production no it's like you're thinking of the bay liner the old bay liner commercial park or industrial park yeah yeah because we one of the, by the, the airport yeah, yeah. yeah cuz i we have a production facility one of the, the main companies i work with right right there dead too yeah it was it was actually a total you know it was a farmhouse with a horse barn um and a workshop that was converted the 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 uh farmhouse was converted into the offices and you know the the main office uh was the master bedroom and the break room was the kitchen Mm. and in back there was a stream you know creek and there were eagles and deer that walked through you know that's beautiful that sounds like a great way to place to work it's it was yeah absolutely and um that's way nicer than the industrial park that I- <laughs> <It's> totally, <laughs> totally you go into some of those and it's just dang yeah, yeah, yeah there's there's you know, all types of factories going on and you know pumping yeah. out all types of nasty shit so this was this this is super unique it's super yeah. unique and it's um and the the horse barn had a um you know was converted into an indoor grow <laughs> so bad it was a, so badass. I love that. Yeah, yeah. And so we put out about um, about forty pound forty pounds a month of top shelf, you know, really great cannabis. Um, 
the, the most popular strains were um, the Dragon OG um, and uh, Strawberry Fields and Kimbo Kush. Yep. And I would go to, you know, I'd go and talk to folks in stores and, you know, I'd, I'd say I'm from Avidas and people would perk up and they'd say, oh, do you have the dragon? <laughs> Everybody loved the dragon and so did I. Yeah, I remember that Kimbo, the, the Kimbo you guys had too, though. Yeah, the, the, the drag. Yeah, it's funny. You know, it's funny. I think some, you know, brands start to develop their kind of specialty with certain strains or, or they're known for certain strains that are unique to them and mm-hmm. or the way that they cultivate it. Um, and I think that's, yeah. that's fascinating. Um, absolutely. So over the, uh, so in terms of let's, let's talk about like the progression, I guess, of Avita's in terms of how has have the have the products developed or like like did you have any hand in like you know we need to get order because one thing i remember you know i've done i've done a lot of different jobs throughout the industry and you know mm-hmm. one thing with like sales right optimizing you know you want to get more shelf space right in the stores that helps you want to get higher you want to get higher quantity orders how do we do that we have to you know if you look at like the statistics i think mj biz uh, mj biz daily came out with like this in their 2019 fact with like companies are like companies that have like seven to ten products are like 30 or 40 percent more likely to succeed or to be turning a profit or so you know what i mean so is there any is there anything that kind of comes to mind with the vitas because you guys do oil you guys do okay. yeah flour Mm-hmm. Yeah, oil and flour distillate. And um, yeah, I mean, it really did grow organically from a, um, you know, just we grew the momentum uh, going into more stores. One of the really tough things about selling into stores, as you, as you know, Luke, is that you have to resell it all the time from month to month. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of alternatives out there, a lot of cheaper substitutes and Avitas was a is a premium brand right it's and not a exclusive you know Maserati type brand but more like a Lexus like every it's attainable but top shelf right it's which is that's what it's exactly how I view it personally from yeah yeah exactly so that's great that that folks on the on the you know uh consuming and customer side see that that's that's how it was positioned um and so but that is that especially you know in 2017 and 18 that is a tough um positioning play because the value segment um blew up you know and in there was a race to the bottom in pricing in in cartridges and um we, you know, we tried to maintain a premium pricing in uh, with the Avitas lines. And so we did come to a point where we had to do something else. The winds were kind of blowing to the cheaper di- flavored distillate. And <clears throat> so we looked at the opportunity in that sector. There was just a lot of sales being done by our competitors in that segment. And we, um, made a product elevated that um that almost immediately dominated that segment 
That is so funny. You you guys are, I didn't know you guys did elevated. I, now that I think about it, oh, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I know elevated for sure. Yeah. So that was your cheaper distillate brand that, right. you know, it was quality, but you know, still competing at the value, but not hurting your premium stuff that you guys wanted right. to go. Did there's right. any worry ever of that cannibalizing the top, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, um, but what we, what we found in doing it was that um, our, you know, Avita's sales were strong and steady. Not a lot of growth at that time. Um, but consistent but, reorders though, because that, that's something that right. I remember being really tough to like consistently keep that shelf space. Um, yeah. 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 So it was, you know, we had some great uh, anchor customers um, that, you know, made up a good portion of our sales, but it, you know, it's fragmented. There were a lot of, we, we were selling to about 250 stores, but then it, you know, with the introduction of Elevated, we jumped up, you know, we almost doubled our sales volume. Okay. And so it, that has a lot of, um, you know, that's great. That's great. It also caused a lot of other problems like, Hey, we, we need to get, you know, tens of kilos of distillate going every month. And we have this small farm facility. And so, um, you know, we went to competitors, uh, in the supplier arena and bought, uh, bought distillate base from them. And, um, we just had, you know, we had the right flavors and the right kind of edgy packaging that enabled us to outsell those same competitors. It was the same product, right? I mean, it was the same product base, but, and they might be sitting next to each other in the, in the store case and Elevated was outselling um, the competitors three to one. Wow. And so really that that's when you really start to internalize the, you know, kind of that art and the science of branding, right? Uh, the brand, brand equity. Merchandising. Brand equity. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You know, absolutely. I mean, that's a, that's a great, I mean, uh, yeah. Cause I, I, when I first came in the industry, I started, I started with like marketing and branding. Cause I, I kind of saw that as one of the gaping holes that it was kind of missing from, or not like it, there were people, the people that were success, like succeeding, like, like you guys, you know, they knew that. Right. Now everyone knows it's a lot about brand. I mean, you have to have, like, once you have everything else in order, the see that, you know, there's a ceiling to quality and consistency, right. You're going to be at the same level, even if it's top shelf. And mm-hmm. then the thing that doesn't have the ceiling though, is your branding, your customer outreach, the customer loyalty. Um, and you know, that is a, that is the major component that is going to differentiate yourself. So the packaging, your guys' whole presentation, uh, the perceptions you guys give, give off, you know, like you said, though, it could be the exact same product. Let me ask you this though, real quick. You guys ever get worried about, um, so you're, so, you know, one thing I've told people to is like, be careful relying too long on, uh, out, um, you know, outsourcing. Like, for example, like, like one day, cause, cause if they control your, um, your supply, you know, one day, you know, in the future, when it gets really competitive, they're going to be like, no, we're not, you know, right. Yeah. There's risks. There's absolutely, there's risks to it. Yeah. Um, 
shoot, I've got a phone ringing in the background. Don't worry, it's not a worry at all. Don't worry one bit. Um, so you, there's a few things that you can do to protect yourself, which is diversify that supplier base. And so we had three suppliers and, um, and that enabled us to, you know, get some, get uh, competitive pricing, you know, business to B to B. Did you, did you leverage, you go, Hey, we got this price from them. You know, can you beat that? We, for the most part, we didn't tell folks, you know, who else we were doing business with. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, and we were getting fair pricing from folks. Um, and so the, the real tough thing though, I'll tell you, Luke was, uh, make, was getting clean distillate mm-hmm. pesticides, you know, quality low pesticide yeah. levels. Yeah. Yeah. You're, and, you're not there when it's made. Right. And that's, you know, or when it's, or when the, or when the, you know, the, the, the trim is processed, so you don't really know the 50, 50 splits and all that, you know, that whole yeah. mystery. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that, one of the things that, um, Avitas did early on was, uh, test everything that we, you know, we tested all the flour that we purchased from producers and we tested all distillate coming in. And so, um, and we had, you know, an affidavit that folks signed and said, you know, I, I promise that there is not, you know, any illegal pesticides or high levels of legal pesticides uh, in this material. And I understand that you're going to have it tested. And if, uh, if it's found to be hot, then we'll reverse the transaction. And, you know, it kind of, it, and I saw that over time, um, I saw waves of just very clean and pure (coughs) material and then waves of dirty material. Yeah. And, 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 and if you, and that's really smart of you guys to have affidavit and all that stuff and to check your own, because I mean, there's some companies, I'm not going to bring any names up, but there's some companies recently that, you know, they ran some, some tainted product and, you know, one of them is just completely out of there. They're just done. The, the, the brand is ruined. Um, the reputation's ruined. Um, but you know, yeah, I mean, that, that can be one major hit to you for sure. So yeah. And it's, yeah, it's getting better and better, but you know, every once in a while they'll, will you're, you're right. It does come in waves kind of. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was an expensive, it was expensive to do that, but worth it, but worth it. And, and it was, you know, um, we really were thinking about the consumer first. And although our competitors were, you know, um, applying a lot of pressure on wholesale pricing, uh, we, we never wavered in our commitment to do that, um, to spend that extra money testing and that extra time testing it. Um, and so, you know, we spent extra money to have multiple deliveries made to us in order that, you know, we had contingencies if something wasn't, you know, wasn't clean. So we were all, you know, it, it just, it's the extra expense and it's the extra time. Safety measures. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I definitely tip my hat off for that to you guys. Cause I mean, I can't tell you how many companies like that would like, I, I know a lot of owners that would never spend that extra money because they don't see the, they don't see the long-term benefit to it. 
But obviously, yeah. Avidas is, is just, a, you know, obviously speaking with you and like seeing you know, what Avidas has done. I mean, you guys are obviously are a product of long-term thinking, which is going to be the true winners. I mean, that's, that's what the Jeff Bezos is. That, that's what, you know, successful business uh, acumen is right. really. Yeah. Just doing it, doing it right over right. the long term. And, you know, it's, it's a high integrity culture. And, um, you know, even though, uh, we told, you know, we told all the buyers that we called on that, uh, that we had, that we were certified clean. Um, and we had this big binder that, you know, just this massive binder that had every, you know, lot that we had ever used. It had the pesticide test for it. And we'd, we'd bring it in to the sales meeting and we'd slam it down on the table and say, what lot do you want to look at? And you know what? Um, I think that it was appreciated, but it didn't, it really didn't crack the, um, the nut of the, you know, the cheaper substitutes back in 2018. You know, I think people were still buying on price, which, you know, the sophistication of, of, you know, the buying and the purchasing role has come a long way since then. But I used to complain all the time about how unsophisticated the buying and the, they weren't interested in data and margins. And, you know, it was a lot of buying from my friends and, um, you know, bu and buying what's easy, what we already have pegs on the wall for. And so the, you know, um, it just wasn't very sophisticated. Yeah, no, I, it's a great way to put it. It really, it, it you know, I, I think we're, there, there's a lot of different, you know, elements to, you know, what you just said too, in terms of like, you know, people, I think, you know, education through content like this and stuff and just the, the, the more, you know, normalized the, the industry gets or the industry in Washington gets. Um, but, you know, I, I think you're right. I mean, I, th I love all of the different uh, pushes from, you know, different companies, different media companies, um, you know, we're getting away from, you know, THC percentage. We've kind of found out that doesn't really mean sh like shit at all. Yeah. It really does not matter. Um, like, to be honest, it's like, yeah, it's yeah. not a very good indicator of like, you know, I could have something with a lower percentage of THC and it gets me way, way higher. Um, yeah. You know, and, and we're looking at the more sophisticated, more nuanced idea or, you know, elements around cannabis. What are the terpenes? What, are this, what is this terpene doing? How does it interact with cannabinoid? How is this going to specifically give me this, these specific effects? And you're right, though. I mean, it, it, it really was not a very nuanced. Uh, um, it was just, you know, you know cheap, cheap, cheap. Yeah. You know. How much THC per dollar are you getting? Because that's really what consumers at the time were looking at. And. I saw, you know, I saw cycles of that kind of change when consumers and sellers get more and more educated over time. And so, um, you know, I saw a wave of change in Washington and then I saw a wave of change about two years later in Oregon. Um, but I think there's still, there's still a, you know, focus from consumers and from store buyers on, on THC level it's it's hard to sell flour that's below 20 percent yeah um, it's hard to sell distillate that's below 85 percent yeah and so um it's just yeah. the easy measurement right like i it's something kind of pops yeah. in my head is like i gp morgan right when they were kind of 
going through like with the creation of gas and stuff right jp morgan they act like the i can't remember what it was it was here on the specific reason but he pretty much said yeah if we can't put a measurement on it we don't want it like, yeah right so yeah. the easy very simplified measurement like you're saying yeah. is that thc percentage and it's like you know it, it's a little, little bit different in that analogy but um yeah it, it is pretty basic and and there's ways to just measure your, you know, your economic, uh, uh, you know, cost and, and benefit. Uh, right. When it really, when can when cannabis is such a such a much more complicated thing that we don't even understand, which you know you obviously pointed to. I know, I know. Yeah. It it makes me, you know, I used to always think, and we actually use this analogy in um, in our operations and in our sales approach. Um, it was like, well. Do all drinkers, do they just buy Everclear? You know, if, if all they were concerned about was the percentage of alcohol that, you know, you don't buy alcohol by percentage. That's a good point. Or, That's a good or everybody point. would be buying Everclear and burning the fuck out of their throat for no reason. That's you a know? great analogy. Yeah. That is one yeah. of the best analogies I've heard actually uh, in terms of that. You're, you're so right. Yeah, I'm not buying Everclear. I'd rather go yeah. buy, I'd go rather go buy some white claws that have way less, right? No, because they taste better. Yeah. They like, yeah. they're easier to drink, even though I'm mm-hmm. paying $11 yeah. for, you know, a six pack or $12 for, you know, some, some light seltzers, right? Or whatever. hundred yeah. yeah. percent. No, that's a, that's a really great, concise way to actually say that. Yeah. That's a great yeah. analogy. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. No, you're so right. You're so right. No, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to be drinking Everclear constantly. Is everybody drinking Everclear? <laughs> no. And that's that's a great. I think that's a great mess. Like packaging there too. That messaging of of you know, would you know? Would you you know? You don't want this with your alcohol. Why would you want this with your cannabis? So yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah, hundred percent. Absolutely. Um. So let's do like uh, like ten or fifteen more minutes if that's okay. Sure. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. I want to just your opinion on in terms of um, I think I think you'd have a unique uh, perspective on this, but you know, I, I cover a little bit of like stock investing in cannabis, right? Investing in, in different mm-hmm. cannabis stocks, but you know, from studying, you know, uh, these different cannabis stocks, you know, I've started to realize um that people because cannabis has come out into this in 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 you know this 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 new era right um in a you know what are the most recent industries that have come out recently right like the dot bomb you know the the, the dot-com bubble right in the 90s uh cryptocurrency right recently and so and then cannabis comes out and you know you have the theme right tech is the theme with you know dot com crypto you know tech and finance you know revolution in finance or whatever and then so you have you know tech 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 right like like is it with is it with cannabis like so so my point being is like people view this business sometimes as like we're gonna get rich like we're gonna create an app that makes you know tons of money and it's like no this is a consumer goods industry this is an agricultural industry this is slow and like you said, momentum, momentum, that's a great way to put it, momentum. Um, you know, I guess I'll speak to that in terms of like, 
do you do you see that yourself too do you see people like thinking oh like we're gonna get like we're gonna get rich right like they, they don't really understand the, actually how hard this industry is to succeed <laughs> absolutely <laughs> absolutely and and um you know it's interesting because obviously there's not um you know there's not uh weed stocks um proliferating the uh, the NASDAQ or the, you know, New York stock. Yeah, they're here and there, but they're kind of fringe or they're right. Kind of right. And it's most of that is going on in the Canadian um, securities exchange. And it's interesting because a year ago, a little more than a year ago, like April of 2019, the bottom fell out of that stock sector. Okay. The, there was, you know, whatever the, the top 50, um, securities, cannabis securities being sold on, on that exchange lost like 80 to 90% of their value. And it was a domino effect that, um, you know, started with some of the bigger players in Canada, um, you know, basically losing hundreds of millions of dollars every quarter. And, you know, it's because they were, you know, overbuilt. Too they, much, too much capital injected too early. That's what right. I, that's, I think that, right. yeah, no, right. like you're going to waste if you can waste, but yeah, you like, and, and, and I think the, and I think you're, you're dead right though, around like the timing and, 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 and I think that the bottom fell out also when, you know, when, when they saw all of these, like you said, the, the hundred million, you know, dollar losses of, of like, and no, and no, you know, no site, no of site. profit, right? no site yeah. of profit. And the, and the whole thing that was carrying that bubble, right? Like any, most bubbles is an investor, uh, enthusiasm, enthusiasm. Right. And I think a hundred percent, some of these CEOs, you know, some of these people, some of these CEOs, I mean, they, you know, I guess to name one name is, is Adam Bierman of, of MedMen saw the massive investor pool was slick talker, knew how to present it all. It really though, kind of a con man, let's be honest, like kind of, yeah. uh, you know, we're going to make a ton of money, but it's going to be from investment, not profit. <laughs> right. Right. There is that piece you got to do. You got to run the business profitably. Yeah. And uh, you know, as it, as it turns out, somebody, uh, somebody told me this a while ago and just did the math about, you know, Hey, we could, uh, we could supply all the demand uh, for cannabis in a 400 acre farming area in Washington. Okay, that, that would cover, that would produce enough cannabis for all the demand in Washington. Well, you know, there's so much acreage and so many, uh, you know, state-of-the-art facilities built, you know, next to each other that exceed that number of acres. And so it's like, you know, everybody overbuilt and they saw competitors with, you know, a lot of money building down the highway and they built the same thing. And it, as it turns out, there's just not enough demand or access in stores um, to sell that much weed. And so, but you know, the whole licensing and canopy um, limits was supposed to keep that in check. But um, 
as it turns out, there's just a lot more production uh, than there is demand at, at first. And, th and then what I saw in Washington was really interesting because, um, you know, when there was a glut of dry cannabis on the market, uh, there people, you know, there was a race to the bottom in pricing. It became commodity type pricing. And then people stopped planting. They let their, you know, um, their license expired. They decided to go back to farming, whatever they were before avocados or plums or whatever it was. And then we had a shortage of cannabis. And now people are coming back in because the price, you know, the price is going up. And so there's, there's, you know, this kind of vacillation until finally there will be a kind of a normal equilibrium yeah. You know, years into the future where things make sense. Pricing makes sense. The amount of production makes sense. The amount of licensing makes sense. And, and I think every separate state has to kind of go through that yeah. and learn from the states that went legal prior to that. That's a yeah, great point. I, I think you're so right, though, too. It's like the market, right? You know, ca you know capitalists, uh, you know, we like to yeah. we like to think the market will, will yeah will like will correct itself right but it, and it will it will right trial and error trial and error trial and error yeah. just building up data to see you know how are we going to get to that equilibrium uh, but it's you know it's tried a lot of different uh, uh, um, you know different uh, calculators you know different um, what's it called. Um, are you talking like production level? You have to. Yeah, production level. But I, I'm just literally. There's a word. It's not crossing my. Um, yeah. Oh Jesus! Had a brain. I'm having a brain fart here. Um, I guess formulations, right? You know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You know, what's the right recipe? I guess uh, to be. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely, and and hopefully the market does correct itself. But you know, I wouldn't say these days we have. Yeah, I'm gonna, I was going to get into politics there, so I stopped myself. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, we don't live in a real capitalist market anymore. We live in like a, yeah. it's a, it's not a real capitalist system. It's a, it's all been government subsidized, which is. Yeah. Not yeah. Really. There's, it doesn't, it doesn't showcase the, the losers when there should be losers. Right. But um, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. I, I really appreciate it. I love this conversation. Um, and yeah, and yeah, yeah so so where can where can people find you by the way um you know tell us about the consulting agency as well and sure yeah. sure so um the company is called 3d consulting and it was uh formed about two or three months ago and so um you know after my after my long stint at avidas um you know i decided to go out and offer my services in uh, for folks who, you know, cannabis brands that do more than 10 million uh, in annual revenue um, that are having execution or leadership problems, there's, you know, there's a lot of folks who are trying to launch. You're product. a very needed commodity, my friend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people who need to launch new products and just can't get, um, you know, can't get the team members to to all get behind the project and and be accountable. Um, you know, I go in and I help companies kind of assess their business plan, their long-term plan, and set 
realistic goals and let it communicate it to everybody, all the departments, what their piece is, and then give them the visibility through dashboards and metrics like we were talking about earlier to, um, to manage that, um, that success, that success in execution. So, so many you know, companies where it really comes down to uh, execution, they, they stumble. And you know, cons me being a consultant, I have no problem uh, spouting ideas uh, to potential you know, customers who could use me because it's really not so much the idea, it's the execution that gets you to your goal. And, um, and it's, it's not easy. No, it's definitely no, 100%. Yeah, yeah, no, you, you're so right, too. I mean, execution is key. The consistency is key. Um, you know, all those things. So, you know, people bring you in, you help reevaluate, you know, restructure, help set up different, you know, efficient processes and, and you know, help be that, that kind of that nudge to get maybe, you know, because there's a lot of owners out there that are very, you know, um, stubborn, right? They, yeah, they're, they're, or they get tunnel vision, I guess is the better way to say it, right? They think that, you know, this is the way when it's, you know, probably not. Maybe. Right. Yeah. Right. But I think a lot of those folks tend to have, um, you know, they, their business plan is in their head. This is what we're going to do over the next five years. And um, it's really not down on paper and nobody else, maybe nobody else in the company even knows about it. Mm -hmm. you now, and if you get, you know, I've talked to a group of leaders and I say, what's, you know, okay, what's the company's strategy? And you, you could probably guess how, you know, they all have a different, you know, they all have a different idea of what the company's strategy is. So there's, you there's help problems. interpret that message, right? And yeah, and, yeah. there's awesome. Yeah, there's problems there. And, and the thing that I, um, that I do the best is I can take a look at, um, at your income statement and your balance sheet and say, okay, this is, this is imbalanced and it's getting worse. Yeah. And people look at it and say, Oh, I, I didn't realize that I was only doing 20% gross margin, which, you know, you're basically digging yourself into a hole if you're not making a big enough gross margin on your sales. And a lot of people feel like, Oh, we can, we'll figure it out. And, um, and we'll, we'll make it all up in volume or something like that. And it, you know, and what they don't realize is uh, they're, you know, we're losing money on everything that we sell. And so it's, it's sometimes a wake up call. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, the fact that you can identify those, you know, just a small little problem right now, but that problem could turn into a massive, you know, a massive, massive problem. Um, yeah. You know, right. You know, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, people, a lot of, lot of, lot of people just would brush by. I have no idea that was there or, you know, think it's going right. to be okay. But this right. is a consumer uh, goods agriculture company that you, know, you have to, like you said, momentum and building off of stability and, and all the things that you bring. Yeah. That's awesome. Hell yeah. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Craig, okay. for, for joining me and giving me some of your time. Um, yeah, My really pleasure. Appreciate it. Um, so are you, where are you on like social media is LinkedIn? Uh, yep. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. The website itself. I'll put is, a link that to that below, by the way, too, for well, any of the yep. viewers. Thanks. And the website is uh, 3dconsultingco.com. Awesome. All right. 
All righty. Well, thank you for joining us. So this is episode number 16, uh, or excuse me, 17 of the Frame of Flower podcast. This is with Craig Levin. Uh, he was the former COO of Avitas, and now he is doing consulting and potentially could help your company. Anyways, thanks guys for joining us, and I hope everyone has an amazing day. Awesome.